Hello, church family. Today we are going to do a little bit longer section again. Uh, we are looking at chapter 7, verse 1 to 53. And this is an amazing portion of scripture because we begin to kind of see the the reason why the first martyr and Christian, or really the first Christian martyr, uh, began to take place. And um, this is obviously an extension of what happened in chapter 6, and chapter 6 is very interesting because the, the there was a the church was growing in numbers and they needed a different people to serve in the ministry so uh, there were different needs and particularly here serving the widows um, that was, was somehow overlooked just I think just practically makes sense because there's just so many people there that just some people just overlook. Maybe some people were interested in learning, others people were interested in teaching, others were doing other ministries, but somehow the widows were overlooked. And uh, the disciples or the apostles asked that they would um, bring in seven individuals that were that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that are um, wise and they're mature in the faith, have a good reputation. And he tells them to uh, that these people will oversee uh, this particular ministry. They will essentially be the leaders, almost like a deacon type here in this text. And the first to be listed is Stephen. And I wonder if the reason why he was listed first was he was probably known um, as a first Christian martyr. Luke probably uh, understood the significance of this individual because he gave a lot of attention to him. He was the first one to be named of the list of seven and then uh, the number was increasing. And then um, there's this attention to shift from uh, uh, John and Peter to the church, and then now to Stephen. There's a really extension, extended portion of him. It said that he was full of grace and power. That's chapter 6, verse 8. Uh, he's full of grace and power and performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some of the men, uh, but some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, uh, including the Synchronians, Alexandrians, and some of the Cilicias in Asia, arose and argued with Stephen, uh, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit which he was speaking. Uh, so you remember that, that that the last episode we talked about this, how he defended the faith so well that um, whatever little amount of what the world was defined as foolish things, which is really the the true and wise things from the Lord was able to overthrow all of these different religious leaders from all these different places. Now, um, Stephen is brought between, uh, he's brought into a council of the Jews and yet, and yet his face was like a face of an angel. I think that just means that he was going to be, uh, defi he, he just looks so peaceful, but what he's going to do is basically become like some sort of divine uh, mouthpiece for the Lord. Uh, he's going to go and confront these Jewish people. So it's going to be a long portion, but uh, stay with me as we uh, do our best to walk through this text. Chapter 7, verse 1, the high priest said, are these things so? So the, again, these high priests are asking him, did you really say these things? Uh, verse 2, and he said, hear me, brethren and fathers. And even that line is very interesting because he's actually addressing these fellow Jews as brothers and even a father. So he's giving honor to people that are about to kill him, which again shows us a little bit about the humility and the grace that Stephen has, of how he has, he's just defined by his godly character. When we think about our day, about the, the way that we view um, our leadership, whether they're 
uh, in the church or in the government, whatever leadership, our natural inclination is not humble submission or even to give reverence to them for the position they're in. Our culture hates leaders. Um, they hate authority. They hate anything that rules over them. And to give them any type of honor is almost considered a sacrilegious type of event. But, but Stephen here understood his where he was at, what um, role he's been given by the Lord and what, who he's talking to. He still seeks to honor them with his language. He says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. So this is going back all the way to Genesis. He's, he's linking them all together, that we have this one common thread all the way back to Abraham. And, uh, verse 3, and said to him, leave your country and your relative and come into the land that I will show you. And the place that, this place, Haran, is 500 miles north of where Abraham was. Abraham was in a place called Ur. Um, this was actually the same place where Job was from. Um, but uh, Ur uh, uh, is a place where it's known for the, the worshiping the moon god. So Abraham was, you know, he, he was ignorant in his own worship, and God tells him to go to this place 500 miles north. So that's, you know, that's not easy travel for back then. But he went there. And, uh, and the result of that is that the nation will be blessed through him. Verse 4, Then he left the land of Chaldeans and settled in Haran from there. After his father died, God had moved to this country in which you are now living. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot or ground. And yet even when he had no child, he promised he, he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. So God essentially promised Abraham that you're going to have a land and that you're standing, that's going to be your land. And then you're going to have, uh, and look up into the sky, you see all these stars, you're going to have all, you're going to have descendants more than the stars that there that are in the sky. And, and that's a weird thing for Abraham to hear because he doesn't have land or kids. He, he didn't have any, any of those things. But yet God has promised that he's going to go about this. Verse 5, but he gave to him no inheritance and then not even a foot on the ground. And yet even without child, he promised uh, that he would give it to him as a possession and his descendants after him. But God spoke to this effect that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. Uh, so he gave him a, uh, he, he's not only just promising, but he's, he's, uh, he, he's making a promise, but he's also telling of like what's the future is going to hold for his descendants that they'll be in the land for 400 in the, they'll be under captivity for 400, 400 years now again in, in the eyes of abraham hearing this you would think i don't know what you're talking about i don't know how this is going to happen i don't think abraham knew that far he only could trust in what god has revealed to them and um in this portion here you remember if you, if you listen to the series Earlier this year, I started a book of the Exodus, and this is where this all happened. I explained even how some of the intricacies of God fulfilling His promises <clears throat> in in the time of the Exodus. <clears throat> now, as you notice, this is 400 years. This is actually a round number. <clears throat> the Egyptians were actually in Egypt for 430 years. So I think uh, here, uh, Stephen just using round numbers. So it's just a you know, and then we do the same thing too. It's not. It's not that this doesn't go against the truthfulness of it. Uh, it's just a way for people to. I think understand what's going on. I don't even think the Jews cared. They didn't. They didn't accuse him for blasphemy or lying at this point. He's just quoting from. Uh, he's just quoting scripture. He's saying there's 400. There's 400 years. It's just like a round number, um, so that people would just get the idea of what's going on. Verse seven. Whatever nation to which they will be in bondage, I myself will judge, and God after me. And and God and God after that, uh, they will come out and serve me in in this place. So. You know, God was going to destroy Egypt, 
and he, it, and I always wonder why didn't he just tell Abraham that it was Egypt? Well, it's, it's, it's like it, it will be like saying like if you were told if you told Abraham Lincoln that in the future there's going to be some sort of terrorist group, like he, it would just be so out of his realm of thinking that he wouldn't even understand what's going on. So then he just gives God just kind of gives them. There's going to be a nation, and they're, they're going to be judged by me. And uh, afterwards, I bring them out. They're going to serve me. Verse 8, and he said to him, the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. The, patri the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. Yet God was with him. Uh, this is like obviously this phrase that God was with him is a reference to back when uh, um, Joseph was being tempted by Potiphar's wife. He refused and ran away and he said that the, it's this exact same phrase. Like, well, it's, it's the reason why he didn't fall for Potiphar's wife was because God was with him. Verse 10, and rescued him from all the afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his household. Now a famine came over all the all Egypt and Canaan in a great affliction with it, and her father could no uh, uh, could not find no food. Uh, but when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he went. He sent our fathers there the first time. On the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family was disclosed to Egypt uh, to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all his relatives to come, seventy-five persons in all. Uh, again, this is interesting because. This is, again, God providentially using man's evil, because they say here that the 12, the patriarchs, the 12 sons of uh, Israel, essentially, were, uh, they were jealous, and they didn't realize that what they were doing, even though in their sin, it was part of God's divine plan. This is Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, what man meant for evil, God meant it for good. And this, you see how this is being played out. Stephen understood all of redemptive history, but at the time, Joseph and the other uh, 12, or I guess 11 brothers, did, had no idea what was going on. Verse 15, and Jacob went down to Egypt, and there... Uh, he and his father, he and our fathers died. From there, they were removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham that the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. There, in verse 3, 18, until the, there was another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. And I think this is just a reminder that, you know, when we look at Pharaoh. The Pharaoh during the time of the Exodus, he has no clue the blessings that the Jews were to the people of Israel, uh, to the people of Egypt. And when I look at our time, we have to understand that you know the Christian culture has definitely uh, corroded in the last uh, several years, and it seems like the people here, the, the the president and leadership and the culture as large, has failed to remember what Christianity has done in this land that has gave them so much uh, blessing and freedoms and prosperity and just understand that like it's normal for people to forget the blessings of God and even, and even fail to acknowledge that God is sovereign. So don't be surprised when people uh, are trying to uh, distance themselves from Christianity, not realizing how much they're be they were even blessed by it to begin with. Verse 19, it was he who took shrewd advantage uh, of our race and mistreated uh, our father, so they would expose their infants, and they would not survive. So this is the you know, when the mo when when 
Pharaoh wanted to kill all the infant babies because they said he was getting counsel that the Egyptian, uh, that the Israelites were overwhelming the numbers in terms of um, population. They need to exterminate the Jews, and the only one that's well, one of the, I, I would argue that there are a few kids that survived, but um, Moses is one of those unique ones, especially because they're killing all the boys mainly. Verse 20, it was a time that Moses was born, and he was lovely in the sight of God, and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been set outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Uh, Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptian. He was man of, of power, words and deeds, but when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being mistreated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he s supposed that his brother understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. And then this is, this is interesting, right? They, the Jews then, and the Jews uh, at the time of Stephen, both failed to see how God has brought a savior right before them. Uh, they would uh, ca they would criticize, and then they would go against um, uh, Moses, and that would just continue on throughout the life of Moses. That they failed to see God's good hand in all of redemptive history, uh, even all all the way to the time of Stephen. Verse 26, on the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you in injure one another? But the one who was in injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who has made you ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At this remark, Moses fled, became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became father of two sons. After four years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn, thorn bush. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. He approached to look more closely there and came to the voice of the Lord. I am the Lord your father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses shook his with fear and would not venture to look. So again, this is <clears throat> this is I mean this is from Moses's. The, the the killing of all the babies till now is like about 80 years so god's justice takes time and sometimes the lords will, will need to raise up certain people in order for him to enact judgment on a nation that's what's going on here uh, even though sometimes in our day and age we tend to think well when is god ever going to act just know that god will act and when he acts no one can stop his plans and i think stephen was trying to explain this whole narrative repeating stories that they know to show them that, hey, you are no different than the rest of these uh, people that God has saved in the past. Because just like the past, they've forgotten and, and cared and, and didn't care about the Lord worship idols. That's what the uh, Jews at that time was doing in Stephen's time. Um, verse, uh, 20, verse 33, But the Lord said to him, Take off the sandal from your feet, for the place which you're standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groans, and I have come down to rescue them. Come now, and I will send you to Egypt. Uh, this Moses, whom they disowned, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one whom God sent to be both rule and deliver with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and the sea, in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. So by the time Moses died, basically, he was like 120 years old. He's been 40 years doing all these miracles, and the result is that they still rejected him as their, as the deliverer. But verse 37, this is Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. 
So there's a sense in which the, the, this is like a messianic prophecy back then, that the Jews were supposed to understand that there was going to be a savior from amongst their descendants, but they did not see it. Uh, they, they, it was almost like God renewing a covenant with them over and over again, and they still can't see that God is the God that they need to worship. Verse 38, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai uh, and who was with our fathers and he received a living oracle to pass on to you. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him but repudiated him in their heart and turned back to Egypt. Now they didn't actually go back to Egypt but they wanted to go back. Uh, they kept saying, oh, are we going to die here in the wilderness? Um, are we, uh, is there not enough graves in Egypt that we can come out here and get killed? That's what there was going on. Verse 40, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt we do not know what happened to him this is this is the scene when during the when uh, Moses was up in Mount Sinai with the ten trying to get the ten commandments from the cloud onto the tablet and uh, they didn't know what was going on so they decided to make a golden calf verse 41 at that time they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idols and were rejoicing in the works of their hand but God turned away and delivered them to serve the host of heaven as is written in the book of prophets it was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifices forty years in the wilderness, was it, O house of Israel? You also took along the tabernacle of Molech and the star of the god of Ramphah and the images which you made to worship. I will remove you beyond Babylon. So this is just like, kind of almost like fast forwarding, showing that you know, Israel just constantly would go to different gods. They're just constantly going back and find different things to worship. And at the time when Luke was writing this in, in, in Stephen's time, the Jews were worshiping their traditions. They were worshiping their, um, their traditions and the laws, and they did not truly worship the Lord, even though they outwardly seemed very spiritual and pious. Verse 44, Our fathers had the tabernacle of testaments in the wilderness, just as he who spoken to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern which he has seen. And having received it in their turn, our father brought it in with Joshua upon deposing the nations whom God drove out before our father to the time of David. David found favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for God, for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet said, heaven is my throne and the earth is the feet of my, earth is the footstool of my feet. Uh, what kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? So I think Stephen, when he was trying to argue with them, he's showing them, like, look, our fathers had all of these things. They had the tabernacle, they had the miracles, they even had the temple. And in the end, even though they had all of these signs, every single thing, every object, every type of sign, every miracle, all of these things to authenticate the fact that he is God. The people of Israel still rejected God. Now, before we judge them so too harshly, understand that we too fall in the same trap as well. We have the word of the living God, something that's even greater than tabernacle, greater than tablets, greater than even the miracles that are shown in the wilderness and in all the way to the New Testament times. Yet we can be stiff-necked and we can be uncircumcised at heart. We can be resisting the Holy Spirit. We can be just like the people of Israel. That's what actually verse 51 says. Verse 52, which one of your prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one whose betrayers and murders you have now become. You who received the law as for 
was ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. So this is a, a strong condemnation. Stephen was basically telling them, them, rebuking them, that look, you're no different. You're no different than those evil men that we, that we despise uh, because you've turned into them. This is why Jesus told, was so hard on the Pharisees. He was, he was very gentle and kind to everyone, Jesus, except for those that are the religious leader. He called them the children of the devil because that's what they were. They were not living for God. They did not live for the glory of God. They didn't, have, no, they didn't realize any of the things that pointed to Jesus. All they did was worship idols, which is you know, the, the traditions that they've made, with, not with their own hands, but with their own hearts. And they, were, and they became this oppressive group of people that ultimately had a false religion altogether. And it was evident by the fact that they rejected Jesus Christ, just like how the forefathers rejected Yahweh of old. And this is Stephen's boldness as he's preaching to them about uh, who they are and why, um, why Stephen keeps preaching the gospel. And it's because unlike the Jewish people in the past, Stephen and the apostles, they understood it. They knew and they know, they know, they knew at the time that Jesus Christ, all the things that he is, is embodiment of all the Old Testament fulfillment, all the prophecies that were there. And the, and the fact that, that they don't see that makes them just as blind as those prof, of the patriarchs as old. And Stephen rebukes them for it. And what he hopes is that they would repent. But we know that that, does not, that is not the case. In fact, on the next episode, we'll see how Stephen is put to death for his faithfulness to the, declaring the truthfulness of God's word. I hope that you will have a strength and boldness to, one, uh, preach God's word to those who, um, who, you know, in their life who doesn't know Jesus Christ. It could be so obvious to us that they don't see it, but understand the reason why you and I understand the gospel is not because of our intellect, it's not because we're in a good place, but because of God's grace. And that should give us the, the courage and boldness to be gracious and sharing uh, the good news of the gospel to everyone in our life and hope that they can come to saving faith. I hope that this episode will embolden you to be like Stephen and using God's word to point people to the Savior. Thanks for listening to this episode. Hope you have a great day.